The following program is brought to you by Total Theater Online. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff or management of WGBB. You're listening to the station that serves your community, 1240 WGBB. And now it's time for Dave's Gone By with David Lefkowitz. Good evening, everybody. Or as Howard Dean would say, Welcome to Dave's Gone By. 90 minutes of comedy, music, talk, radio, and more brought to you by Total Theater and Performing Arts Insider Magazine. Every week, 6.30 to 8 p.m. on WGBB AM 1240 Freeport and AM 1240 WGBB.com. And this week, the letters GBB stand for Gala Birthday Boy. That's me. Dave Lefkowitz, radio personality, journalist, humorist, and birthday victim. Yes, it happened. I tried to turn the hands of the clock back. I tried hanging the calendar upside down. I tried putting a vacuum hose to the sand dial, but no luck, no use. I'm 40. Four, oh, four decades, two score, quadradeca. Last Friday, January 23rd, old Dave turned older Dave, I suddenly joined the generation that's closer to Mastodon Spears than Britney Spears. I'm more likely to be seeking wisdom from tombstones than the Rolling Stones. I can still wriggle into tight blue jeans, but I'd better be wearing huggies underneath. Seems like only a week ago I was sitting in my social studies class. Now I need a class in social security. And I remember how much I used to hate getting a haircut. Now I wish I had a reason to. I remember when I'd sit in bed, eat potato chips, and watch cartoons. Now I... No, wait, I still do that. Just because I'm 40 doesn't mean I can't be an infantilized 40. Everybody else is growing up. I feel like growing down. Life is just too short to get older. Think about that one for a minute. George Burns once said, You can't help getting older, but you don't have to get old. Of course, he was probably in his late 80s when he said it, and by the time he was in his late 90s, he was more likely to say, please, kill me, put me out of my misery, which God eventually did. But he was certainly an example to follow for the first nine decades of his life, and if I was worried that it would all be downhill from here, that somehow I should have had all my best ideas by the time I was 20 and all my stability and success by the time I was 30, and all my children by the time I was 40, if not all my children, at least as the world turns. But no, that's not the way it works. At least, last week has really shown me that my life goes on at its petty pace, good and bad, but I'm luckier than most. I did a radio show last Monday night, and I get so much pleasure and satisfaction out of that. Not just from being on the radio, but also from putting the program together. I do a lot of the editing and the control room stuff myself on segments that are pre-taped. And when I hear it all cobbled into one 90-minute event, you know, it's like finishing a jigsaw puzzle, like touching up that last corner of a newly painted room. And the best part is, everybody gets to share it. You finish a crossword puzzle on the train, you figure out that last clue, and you change one letter that seemed kind of wrong to one that's like 99% right, and you get that little smile on your face. You nod complacently. But, you know, you can pay people to give a crap. I mean, maybe there's somebody sitting next to you, and they see over your arm, and they give you a congratulatory thumbs up. But 
they're just thinking, oh, sure, the Daily News puzzle. Let's see Big Shot finish the Times puzzle. That's a challenge. But here, this is my forum. And I get the satisfaction of knowing that there are people out there listening, caring, paying attention, laughing at a good joke, shaking their heads at a bad one, pleased when I push the envelope, taken aback when I push too far. And somehow, the individual segments, the news gone by, the world weird web, the Dave's gone cultural, they all add up to something bigger and stranger than any particular part of the show. And not to be pretentious or cliche about it, but life is like that too. I felt it at my 40th birthday party last Sunday, surrounded by friends and family. A small group, we kept it pretty mellow and intimate, but you start thinking about all these special, different people, things they've contributed to your life and ways you've enhanced theirs, hopefully. And somehow it all adds up to an existence, a sojourn on the planet. So I'm not going to dwell so much on the details of the party. I got some very nice gifts, some unusual gifts, which I was especially happy for. Everything from three pounds of Gravelox, prepared specially by a good friend of the family, to a SpongeBob SquarePants computer game and pillow, to an amazing piece of Wesley Willis memorabilia, to a collage of old pictures, to a giant bag of adult diapers. A critic friend of mine, Simon Saltzman, went so far as to write a short play about a trip we'd all taken to, <clears throat> to Ireland a few years ago. And he cast people in the part as me, my wife Joyce, and him and his wife, Lucianne. Well, what a gift that is, to find yourself being part of someone else's creative vision. I mean, it was just a silly little sketch, but how fun is that? And one of the more fun things for me about the party was walking around with an audio cassette recorder, because I'm always thinking in terms of radio, and asking my friends and family to say nice things about me, which, to my amazement, most of them did. So I don't want to get too self-indulgent here. Well, yes, I do, just for a few minutes. But I figure it might be fun to share a number of these encomiums with you. Encomiums, encomia, encomiuses... Anywho, they're kind of fun. And after that, we've got a hugely packed show for you tonight. The news gone by, um, a birthday tribute to singer-songwriter Lucinda Williams, and a special guest, director and acting teacher who's been revered in the industry for more than 30 years, Terry Schreiber, founder of T. Schreiber Studios. He'll be on the phone to talk about directing on Broadway, running a theater school, his philosophies about acting, and also about the show he's currently directing at his theater, a revival of John Guare's Landscape of the Body, which is why this episode of Dave's Gone By is titled Landscape of the Terry. Terry Schreiber, our guest in the 7 o'clock hour on Dave's Gone By, will also have a ticket giveaway for a different show, one at Town Hall. We're really jam-packed tonight. In fact, let's do the ticket thing. Haven't done this in a long time, but I'm excited about it. A way to do something nice for loyal listeners. I have two pair of tickets to give away, so we can take two separate callers. The tickets are for an event February 6th, Friday night, February 6th. If you're going to call in, please check your calendar first to make sure you're available. Now, next Friday night at Town Hall in Manhattan, it's a tribute to TAP legends featuring the next generation in TAP. I mean, you might not know it, but there are a lot more young TAP dancers out there than Savion Glover 
And you can see a bunch of them next Friday at 8 at Town Hall. A group called the Young Hoofers will demonstrate the styles of past masters like Bill Bojangles Robinson, Fred Astaire, and Gregory Hines. There'll also be film clips of Gene Kelly, Jimmy Slide, and, I assume, the awesome Nicholas Brothers. There'll be live jazz from the Sidney Bechet Society Band, featuring trumpet player Byron Stripling and special guest Carrie Smith. She was featured on Broadway in the variety musical Black and Blue. Well, this is all part of a tribute to TAP, Friday, February 6th. Now, folks, you can buy tickets for this happy town hall event. 212-840-2824 is the number for the town hall box office. 212-840-2824. Or you can just go to Town Hall, 123 West 43rd Street and buy tickets there without the service charge. But for two lucky listeners, you don't have to buy anything because we're giving away two pair of tickets to this event, February 6th, a tribute to Tap Legends. And all you have to do is tap some numbers into your telephone. Just call the radio station. The first two callers win the tickets. The number, 631-888-888. One one area code six three one eight 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 one one engineer Joe will take your name and contact information and tell you if you've won and how to get the winning tickets six three one triple eight eighty eight eleven call now no relatives or employees of the radio station please six three one eight 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 one one meanwhile before we get to Terry Schreiber the news gone by all that stuff. I'm going to test your tolerance a little while with some birthday wishes for old Dave. Recorded January 18th at my parents' house during my 40th birthday party. Hope you enjoy. A couple of nice words about David. Well, actually, it's been a great pleasure knowing you for all this time, even though I can't get onto the website. It's a very frustrating experience, but not knowing you as a good friend. Uh, of Joyce. Yeah. She's great. You made a good selection there. And uh, what else can I say? Many, many more happy birthdays, healthy ones. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much, man. Uh, happy birthday, David. Uh, Who is this? Happy, happy birthday, David. This is Piero. I'm sorry, I'm Piero. This is Piero, David. Uh, happy birthday, happy 40th. Uh, many happy birthdays to come to you. Thank you, man. And happy 38th birthday to you on the 20th. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Same day as yours. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Something nice about you. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's David. This is your mother. I wish you everything you wish yourself. Plus, good luck. To 120. I love you. Bye. Thank you very much. Your turn, Auntie. Oh, I can't talk. What is it? Just say something decent. Or in the. How do you talk into this? It's called a thing. You just talk. This is my aunt, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> she was born in 1800. It's called a tape recorder. Audio sound passes through this machine. Baby darling, I'm so happy to be your aunt. I remember when I turned 40. And this one's... And <laughs> it was a few years ago, okay. and I had a lovely daughter at that time, and may you have the same. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> okay, we're not saying that one for sure. That's for sure. This is Leanne, my friend. Okay, I can hardly follow that uh, speech by Aunt Esther, so <laughs> I'll have to do something more modest. But all I can say is David and I have been friends for 13 years, I think. Has it been that long? It might be. And it's, I'm on the brink of my 40th birthday, too, so I can know how you feel. I offer you all my sympathy and <laughs> love, and that's it. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Oh, I don't get a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll get you. Jay, Jay, I'll Jay, okay. yeah, what is this? It's it's what is this? Just don't cover that with your stomach. You'll be fine. What is it? Okay, <laughs> Dave. One word. Lefke's beautiful. Ooga. It's a compound word. But and, I, I, and I try, I rack my brain to think about about you and um, you're just beautiful and through all the years through all the events through all the mischief through all the mayhem and all the mad ways that we try to make life special i applaud your energy your irreverence and your Affections. You're a good. You're a good man. And I'm very proud to know you, and to have always known you. <laughs> what are you, 60 today? <laughs> I'll see you in 60 years. Can you allow the Godzers? Thank you, Chad. Yes, this is Scott. Uh, I'm supposed to be nice about you. Oh yeah, I was just trying to say something. I first met David Lefkowitz in the spring of 1938. <laughs> now, uh, let's see, Dave, you should have you should have many, many, many happy and healthy more birthday, more healthy birthdays. This is a 40. This is well, it's really not, but it's coming up on your 40th. On the 23rd. Yeah. On the 23rd will be your 40th birthday, and uh, you should live to be 120. So you know that means we got we got 80 more to go. Wow. Which would be really neat, and uh, I just hope that um, that we're all together. Uh, to spend many, many, many more birthdays together. That's the, what I, what I wish you. I wish you only the best, buddy. You know that. You're my brother, and I love you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Scotty. Hey, Chip, Eric. <laughs> Maybe. Mike, right there. There's a Mikey. David, you're actually one of the first few, maybe four or five people I've met in my life who's actually an archetype. Whoa. Which was. You know, there, there, there was Jay, there was Scott, there was George, there was Dave. You were always one of the one of that very small group of people who sedimented my sort of worldview so early <laughs> that whether or not we spent a lot of time together over the you know during some period of time didn't really make a difference because David Lefkowitz was already always in there. Basically, yeah, that's right. And uh, seeing you more lately is really great. And I hope we get to do a lot more. Happy birthday. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Go for it. Scotty again. Scott Um I was before I was asked to tell one of my most memorable David Lefkowitz moments, and I will tell one of my one that's become legendary actually of my family. David and I worked together at one point in a gallery in Soho. Uh, yes, yes. and and at one point I had out of nowhere a cousin of mine appeared at the gallery quite by accident. We didn't issue no warning or whatever. My cousin happens to be a lesbian. And she came to the gallery and 
she saw Dave and I working there together and she asked uh, how long we've known each other and they said we've known each other since we were both in junior high school and then Dave said uh, aside jokingly to her in fact we're lovers and she said oh that's wonderful and I said no that's not true and they said I'm just joking but she actually has still believed it so that since since that time on which is now about almost 20 years ago probably, probably about yeah. 6, 15, 16 years ago half of my family still believes I'm gay and wonders why I'm married and how I have a child uh, and why I don't have my anal child <laughs> and half of my there's a, but there's a whole portion of my family that is that you know it's gotten that they say oh yes you know uh Anna's youngest son is gay, you know, uh, I, I know, I, 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 they, you know, I met his lover. And, you know, I, I was like, and this is, this is something that will never go and will follow me forever. And thank you, David Lefkowitz. You're very welcome. Anytime. <laughs> Say something nice about you. Yes, this is my cousin, Deborah O'Brien. Okay, Deborah O'Brien. <laughs> uh, what can I say about Dave? You're one and only cousin. <laughs> I love you very much and wish you a very happy and healthy 40th birthday. Thank you. Thank you. We can tell she didn't practice much on this. But thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. This is my Aunt Bonnie. You are such an adorable little boy. I absolutely adored you. Remember your first word that I taught you. Mrs. Ryan, she taught me the first word, which was? Aardvark. Because Judy had two nephews and a niece already and I only had you so you had to do something special that's why and it was also the first word in the dictionary I mean, that's, uh, that might be why I picked it yeah right. but I stood over you for hours and hours and hours saying aardvark David aardvark and it was the first word you said cool thank you Aunt Bonnie <laughs> Aunt Bonnie Pinkett and that's my dad Mr. Lefkowitz um, I was just thinking about the fact that the stories the two stories two little vignettes that I had about you yeah. when you were an infant and I got that warm fatherly glow of course. and it was because I didn't realize it first but it finally came to me it wasn't just moist <laughs> I mean it wasn't just warm it was it's moist, moist. Yeah. and then that time a uh, year or so later and you were standing in front of me and I'm in my shorts on the sofa of course um, <laughs> and I touched the lamp and you let go of my leg at exactly the same moment. So you thought you were getting electrocuted. And I thought I was getting electrocuted. It's a little uh, change on Jenny Cavallero's statement from Love Story. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Yeah. In your case, it was love means never having to say I'm soggy. <laughs> sorry about that. I think I'll go to my Uncle Lester now. <laughs> Uncle Lester Pinkow, say something nice about me or else. Something nice about you. God, I'm going to have to really think yeah, about this. Thank huh? you very much. Give me a few minutes. I'm going to tell you. My uncle, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks. Nice about you. Say something nice about me, cousin Brett. I like watching you grow up, Bobby. That's, that's my uncle. That's it? That's it? Yes. Yeah. I call you something, but this may go on the radio. <laughs> Say something nice about me. This is my, my cousin Josh. Say something nice about you. Or anything about me. Come to play golf with. Thank you. You know, I'll try. You should do that again soon. My family. <laughs> You're the most intelligent, creative man that I've ever met. Whoa. 
Slap it on with a trowel well, light. Well, I actually watched your telephone program today, and it was fantastic. I'm very much impressed. Thank you. Thank you. I should stop there, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to stop there on the head. This is my uh, cousin Stephanie. Uh, happy birthday, first of all. My older cousin, David, the most mature <laughs> um, influence in my life. Well, yeah. This is not advertising. She doesn't have to be truthful. <laughs> Thank you, cousin. Um, happy birthday. Thank you. Bobby? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And you already had my belly button. <laughs> we won't get into that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. from my family and friends recorded five days before my birthday featuring everyone from my mom and dad to my Aunt Esther, my Aunt Bonnie, my wife's friend Diditi, my good friends Chip and Jay and Leanne and Scott, my dad telling stories about how I urinated on him. Yes, I may be 40 years old chronologically, but when you're with family, you really go into that matrix thing of a holographic universe. You may be 40, but you're also age 10, age 20, and age 1, all simultaneously. In fact, last year on my birthday show, I was even lucky enough to recreate the moment of my birth. It's a very mystical thing to do. Kind of a sick thing to do, really, but we won't get into that. Anyway, I've had many requests to play it again. It's quite short. Shortest labor in history, in fact. A minute and 15 seconds. I play both the obstetrician and myself, and I dare say I do a fine job at both. My friend Scott, whom you just heard tell the story about his family thinking he's gay, thanks to me, well, Scott plays my mother in this sketch, no comment, and engineer Joe Salzone, my good buddy Joe, he plays my dad, Philip Lefkowitz. So without further ado, here again, in all its horrible glory, is my birth, January 23rd, 1964, Be Afraid. Be very afraid. 
The date is January 23, 1964. You are a fly on the wall at Brooklyn Hospital. And what are we watching? David Lefkowitz's birth. We take you there now. Ah! Right. Okay, Brenda, just keep pushing. Ah, Philip! <laughs> Push. Philip, why are you crying? Mrs. Lefkowitz, just please push. Oh, let's push. count. Let's count. You One, push, you two. P- you, you count. Push. Oh, Ten, oh, nine, oh, eight, oh, seven. Seven. Oh, it's all right. All right. I think the baby is starting to crown. Crown, of course, it's crowning. You're passing a football. Just push harder. Push as hard as you can. I'm gonna faint. Mr. Lefkowitz, she really needs your help. That's just push harder. Oh, the heck is oh, out. But I, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's a boy. It's a boy. It's a boy. Oh, if you don't just drop that, I'm going to be careful. Then he's very slippery. Don't drop him. Ah, uh, it explains so much, doesn't it? My birth, recreated by Scott Rogolitz, Joe Salzone, and yours truly, on this post-birthday episode of Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WGBB Freeport and AM 1240 WGBB.com. We're calling it Landscape of the Terry because we have director and teacher Terry Schreiber visiting by phone in just a couple of minutes. And before that, just a couple more orders of business to get this show rolling. First of all, A big overall thank you to everyone who made my 40th birthday party and then uh, my 40th birthday on Friday so special and so unique and so full of love and affection. Second of all, this program is rated DGB-13. That's the Dave's Gone by equivalent of PG-13, which means we try to watch our P's and Q's and stay away from X so we don't get in trouble with the FCC. But even so... We sometimes say things to make parents go, oh, or gee, or what the L. So the kids can listen, but just be cautioned that this is not a show for children. It's a show for 40-year-olds who want to feel like children, only not the pimply ones who take earache medicine. Okay, third order of business. Thanks to everyone who called in for the town hall tickets, and congratulations to the lucky winners. Fourth of all, I was digging through the archives and found a birthday gift. Must have been from 1992 or 93. Again, from one of the people you heard on the party tape before. Now, this is wicked cool. I'm just going to play an excerpt. It's a sound collage, kind of like something you hear late night on WFMU. And it's amazing because it mixes the audio from a yoga relaxation tape, Silence of the Lambs, sound bites from television, weird noises, echo effects, and the Jerry Lewis telethon, with Jerry and Sammy Davis Jr. doing their thing at their absolute shtickiest. Well, my good friend Jay put it together with Scotty, and was never meant for airplay, so I hope they don't mind if I play a musical selection from it. It's a real hoot. Maybe I'll play the rest of the tape next year for my birthday salute then. So here is a blast from my past, finishing up my self-indulgent birthday salute. It's Jay Auerfeld over a decade ago with a sound collage and a birthday song. If you think I do some weird stuff, listen to this. I cannot begin to think of how many singles I've recorded in the last 35 years. This is... 
possibly the worst piece of musical crap I have ever heard in my entire life. Really? Well, Stevie Wonder wrote it. How the hell do you like that? Okay, if you're such a maven, if you've made 50 albums, and you can't begin to count how many singles you've made, why not pull from that vast array of magnificence and pull something out that we both know that you feel would take the place of that magnificent thing that didn't do so swell? <laughs> would you trust me to pick out something that cooks and swims? Of course, man. I dig that all the way, Jack. Let's go. Groovy. Groovy. I have to talk that way to you. Hey, David, happy birthday, and this one is for you. Hey, Dave, woo, happy birthday, this one's for you. Happy birthday, Dave, this one's for you. Now, David, baby, you know I missed your birthday, yeah. But there's a couple of things Ooh, I can say. Ooh, ah, birthday to you. Yeah, David, baby. with mulligatawny soup, then try an appetizer of tandoori quail, have a tasty garlic naan, and a main course of lamb kebab, prawn masala, or buttered chicken, topped off by a glass of mango lassi. Hungry? Then visit the Tandoor Grill, 
fine cuisine, great service, nice people. 222 Sunrise Highway in Rockville Center, 516-766-4440. See the menu at tandoorgrill.com. It's Indialicious. Thanks for listening to that incredibly self-indulgent but great fun uh, birthday tribute from all my family and friends. Thank you also to all of you who called in for the town hall tickets. Um, I don't remember the other person, but uh, congratulations, Richard Schoen, who will be seeing the TAP show at town hall. But we're going to be talking about another show for the next uh, 20 minutes. It's called Landscape of the Body. And it's uh, a revival of a John Guare play that is being done at T. Schreiber Studios in Manhattan, off-off-Broadway. And we have the director, and not only is he the director of that show, but he runs the whole darn place and has been doing theater and directing and specifically teaching acting for more than three decades now. So without further ado, I want to get right to it. He's on the phone with us now, I hope. Terry Schreiber, are you there? I am there, Dave. Hey, Terry. Thanks for uh, coming on Dave's Gone By. How you doing? I'm doing good. That that ad you just had on for that meal <laughs> was just marvelous. I know. I'm waiting to have dinner when we finish. and That, that was just a wonderful ad. We'll get there before it starts snowing. It's in Rockville Center. You can probably, you know, If you have a car, you can probably drive from New York there in about an hour. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's good to talk to you. Mike, I have heard your name you know, ever since I've been in, in the theater business, per se, for, for like 20 years. And you've been doing this ten years before that, but but why don't you explain to folks? I know it's not fair to do your own introductions, but I gave a little bit about who you are. But but just tell tell the world. Well, Dave, I came to New York as an actor in 1960, and uh, did quite a bit of acting between 1960 and 1969. And I never made any conscious decision really to stop acting. It just suddenly in 1969, I started um, out of a tour I'd been on to do some teaching. And I just realized I wanted to stay more based in New York. Uh, so I started teaching at several um, different studios in New York. And about a year later, I went on my own. And then it just gradually grew into not only teaching but doing productions. And uh, about a year later, also taking over a theater up in Vermont, and we do a season from fall till spring in New York, and then take um, and start all over, do about five plays up in Vermont during the summer, and that kept up for two years. And the whole thing just involved that I, or evolved rather, that I found directing much more fulfilling than I ever found acting, even though I got to do some multi good roles. But suddenly I realized, wait a minute, I'm just so much more immersed in this uh, on a deeper level than I ever was as an actor. And uh, I'm really... Not to break in, but why is that? Why did directing click for you in a way that acting didn't quite? Well, because it's working on the whole, not just the part. I mean, I think that an actor's job is to, you know, just work on the role that they're doing and leave it at that, and you don't get involved, you know. I mean, you have to obviously work who you're playing opposite, but it's it, the difference between working on the part and working on the whole. And suddenly working on the whole, just uh, I just found much more richness in it and much more personal excitement. And the leap from just directing um, here and there to actually having a whole... A theater and a school. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how 
a little more specifically how that all came, you know, grabbing a theater in Vermont. I mean, it was just there or... Uh, a friend of mine tipped me off about it, and I drove up there, and it was all settled in a weekend. <laughs> then I would take it over, and I got to work with some wonderful people in this small community. And I probably would have continued, but after two years, the writing was on the wall that really the only thing we really filled the house with were musicals. And I've just never been that into musicals. Uh, so I I really uh, resigned after two years. The theater did go on, and it's still going on. What's the name of it? Uh, the Bradford Repertory Theater. I think it's just called the Bradford Theater now. But we kind of played in good old-fashioned rep where we, uh, the last week and a half of the season, we would rotate all five productions we were doing practically every other night. and That was really exciting. I mean, it's good old-fashioned theater. Uh, it about killed every horse in the barn, you know, with all the strikes <laughs> and the setups. But uh, it was really really fun and then I got back here and the studio space I was using to teach in I was working you know sharing a space with Milton Kinsellis and Michael Shirtliff and that space Shirtliff wrote a very well known Mm -hmm. book about auditioning right yeah right and that place it was a lovely little carriage house right in the middle of a block but they somebody took it over real estate and built a great big apartment building there so I was scrambling for space and found a space then on 3rd Avenue, and we were there about five and a half years and would do a five- to six-place season, and that's where we finally got very lucky uh, with the trip back down by John Bishop because Walter Kerr came opening night and gave it a big review in the Times, and the next exciting thing was every producer in New York was coming down to see it and bidding for it, and uh, it did go to Broadway, and that was my big break uh, to direct on Broadway, and... uh, uh, it's an experience that probably is once in a lifetime, but it was. Uh, we still talk about it and reminisce all of us that were involved. And this was a time in New York that a lot of producers were coming down to off off Broadway and what we were doing, and really bringing shows. Uh, Hudson Guild. I did a show for them a couple of years later, and that went to Broadway. But they were really scouting things like this from Circle Rep or Hudson Guild, and all of us that were active in the off off Broadway movement. And uh, it was it was really an exciting time of a lot of creative producers, you know, like Manny Eisenberg and Phil Rose and people like that that I was fortunate enough to be able to work with and then picked up the shows uh, um, and believed that, you know, it could be taken uptown and, and work. And uh, it was a, a very, very exciting time period before then producers, you know, now more go out to the regional theaters and, and pick up productions. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a rare thing. They, uh, they grabbed about a decade ago, Wilder, 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 that an off-Broadway company did. Mm-hmm. They did, did a, then they moved it up, and then they actually brought it to Circle in the Square. Oh, I remember that, yeah. It was very good. And, yes. But that's, it was such a rarity mm-hmm. that that was the big news about it. They grabbed it from this little off-off-Broadway company right. and brought it up. And then the, the only thing that changed since then is, thanks to the Fringe Festival and you're in town, mm-hmm. you know, they poke around for the musicals now that are that are off off in that circle but right. it's still it's still very very rare mm-hmm. for it to to make that leap from off broadway to broadway goes a lot mm-hmm. but off off to but rolling back to to something you were talking about before what was so different not only i guess with the trip back down experience but you also directed K2 and and one other show the difference between directing on broadway and directing off or off off 
Well, the pressures mount enormously. I mean, uh, when you direct off off Broadway, I mean, you're you're head cook and bottle washer, right? I, you're, you're taking out the garbage upon occasion, right. and there's it's a wonderful kind of ensemble unity uh, that you try to recreate on Broadway. I think, fortunately, with the shows I did on Broadway, we were able to create that same kind of unity. It's just so much more pressure and so much more at stake. And sometimes doing a play that, oh, and many times I still see it, a play that, you know, should not be done on Broadway. The house is too big for it. The house is not right for the play that maybe should have been kept off Broadway and would have gotten, you know, much more of a run. Uh, I've been very lucky with the producers I've worked with. Uh, I've gotten great support from those producers and uh, excellent cooperation. I mean, I, I have not had one of those nightmare experiences of backers coming in and, you know, all that kind of pressure or firing actors or things like that. I have not been in one of those. I only was in one of them, and that was not on Broadway. I don't even want to mention Oh, come place. on, come on. you got to tell the bad stories as well as the good. <laughs> oh, it was you don't have to name names, but... but just a little of the, the well, specifics. the production I did some years ago of uh, a Eugene O'Neill play um, at uh, not when Todd Hames had it, but at the Roundabout Theater before Todd Hames took over, and it was uh, <laughs> a nightmare in hell uh, <laughs> from every capacity. Ouch! And that was one of those that you'll just never forget for the rest of your life. I think it cost me about six months in therapy fees <laughs> oh, <laughs> to get it out of my system. <laughs> Well, O'Neill will do that. You know. <laughs> it wasn't just O'Neill. It wasn't O'Neill. O'Neill will do that because when you're working on O'Neill, you're most working with the most self-centered kind of characters that have ever been written. It's me, 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 and you know, you get into that with the cast and get immersed in that, and kind of, you know, that really builds. Do you live? Does that happen to you, especially as a director, where you have to keep the entire script and all these things whirling around in your head, not just little parts of it? Do you end up? living the play for a couple of months oh god yes more than a couple of months more than a couple of months i mean i start working on a play even that i'm going to do down here i started working on landscape of the body uh, which i already knew and which had been produced by us about 10 years ago i didn't direct it but uh i started working on it in july wow and you just—it's that immersion process, you know, that you read it and reread it, and then I start doing my production book and uh, exploring that, doing all the research. I love to get all the past reviews um, to see, you know, what if there's a consensus of opinion of what worked and what didn't work. Sometimes you really get, ooh, pay attention to that. Yeah. But do you uh, actually? I want to. Yeah. Oh, God, three different questions I want to ask at once. But do you read reviews when you're doing the piece, or do you wait for your own reviews until the run is over? Uh, I usually read the reviews uh, while, while the play is running. Uh, I know a lot of people don't. Uh, I guess I'm curious, and uh, I want to find out what the person's opinion was. Um, I, I mainly gather... Like when I'm working on a production, I usually go over to Lincoln Center and gather the reviews, you know, of a previous production of it. Just right. to see what I can learn. Many times I will go over there and look if they have a film on file. Especially when I've been doing a Chekhov or an Ibsen or something like that. Um, just to see. You know, I know I'm going to go my own way with it, but I also, if it's somebody that's directed it that I really respect, I like to see what they've done. Speaking of what they've done, um, maybe the people who are listening to the show, because this is not a theater show per se. It's more of a comedy, talk radio, music, and everything show. So people may not 
be all that aware of who John Guare is. Um, he's best known, obviously, for penning Six Degrees of Separation. And um, also he wrote The House of Blue Leaves and Four Baboons Admiring the Sun and the book for the musical Two Gentlemen of Verona. Mm-hmm. People will probably be less familiar with Landscape of the Body. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about, well, what it's about. Well, it's a lovely play that uh, I was really searching for something to do that I really wanted to do this season. I, I started to think of landscape again because the play has always haunted me because it, it really deals with dreams and memories and random violence. It deals with New York City in the 70s, the West Village in particular, uh, which was uh, kind of what the East Village has become now. Uh, and it was a whole world that uh, was a, a meaningful world for me in the 70s when Trip Back Down happened and I have an off-off-Broadway theater, everything like that. So there was a lot of meaning. I also love John's work. There's a wistfulness in it. Uh, there's such a compassion for humanity in his work, even though, you know, some of the work gets dark. There's, there's a wonderful thing about the inordinate beauty of innocence in this play and how dangerous that innocence can be. Uh, I think it's a play that deals with the family and the need and the desire and the dream of, to have a family. Um, uh, the other elements, I, I just think it, it, the, the beautiful thing it's about you know, for all of us, about our need to dream and to make those dreams come true. And I've always been drawn to that, even if there's something, maybe one of my favorite things I've ever done was the Iceman Cometh, but even those dreams are, they're filled with a hopeless hope, the dreams. But it's the important thing is to dream, and uh, I think John really stands for that. Uh, he also covers our craving, you know, for celebrity, uh, and, you know, how we all want to end up in People's Magazine, maybe for yeah. five minutes. Uh, he covers so many areas like that. that uh, and and this, this whole play touches me deeply on all the things we do to survive the inevitability of our death. And uh, there's wonderful humor in the play. Uh, and I really feel John cares so much about humanity. It's like he creates, you know, a blue, blue sky up there and kind of a dark, dark earth sometimes. Has he been involved in this remounting at all? Uh, we've corresponded. Uh, he really helped us with a particular song because there's a number of songs in the play and a song that, uh, thank God, uh, he said what he did because the musical director and I were completely misinterpreting the song. <laughs> and he, he gave us an idea and I took off on an idea he gave me. And, and, and the, the, the ballad, it's a ballad that uh, right now I, I just want to say thank you, John, for that <laughs> tip. Uh, I hope he will be coming to it. Uh, we've invited him to be our guest, he and his wife, on our opening night, and we are honoring him this year with our gala. We're honoring uh, John Guare. Excuse me, are you still there, David? Yeah, well, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. We're honoring John Guare as well as Ellen Burstyn this year. Oh, um, are, and you've also you've worked with some pretty well-known people, yes. um, both on and I guess off Broadway as well. Mm-hmm. Um, any good? Specific memories, or, or um... oh, I have wonderful memories going way back to trip back down with John Cullum, who was just a gem. I mean, it was my first shot uptown, you know, and to have somebody like John to work with, uh, I will never forget that. People will best know uh, John Cullum from Northern Exposure, but he was also in Urinetown yes. for about a year and a half. Yes, so. and he won a Tony for Shenandoah. Right. And uh, my long association with Betty Buckley has been a joy. I first worked with Betty and Celeste Home up in uh, Buffalo in a play. And Betty and I 
really have been fast friends. She teaches here at the studio. Uh, we've been friends for over 20 years. Wow. And some people like that. Um, it was thrilling to work with Edward Norton for four years and, and see what happened to him. Uh, it's always wonderful with somebody like that that comes in and is so focused and talented beside, but they're so focused, uh, nothing gets in their way. You know, I mean, and I don't mean obnoxiously or anything like that, but they're just, this is what they want, and they really go after it. And I know Ed rented movies and watched movies and, and, and picked up novels, and if he found something that he said, hey, I'm right for that, sometimes he inquired if rights were available. I know he was tracking down all the pretty horses for a long while, and I wish he would have gotten to do it because he would have been marvelous in it. But it's experience with people like that, I mean, uh, seeing what's happened to him. Uh, and uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think here. We, we actually, we only have about two or three more minutes, so mm -hmm. I wanted to, to grab another question real, yeah. real quick. Um, as a teacher of, of acting, um, what is the most profound like, moment that you've had? Well, something where something clicked or you got through or something amazing happened? Well, I think... Any moment, Dave, where an actor makes a major breakthrough, it's so exciting to be on the other end of that and see the joy that the actors found, the light bulb that has gone on for the actor about the work and the understanding of the work, and then where the actor goes from that, or getting an actor to take the risks, take the chances, not just play it safe. And when they do, the, the joy uh, in taking those risks and, and, and when they make that deep, deep inner connection, and it's not just something off the top of their head, but that they start to understand the work and, and really demand of themselves work on a much deeper, richer area. That, that's what's exciting. And um, I had a Friday class last week that we were working dominantly on Harold Pinter, and I'm very excited because Pinter has given me permission to do two of his plays next year. But the, the, the first four scenes from Harold Pinter, it was, it was just thrilling to be in that class. Okay, I've got one more question yeah. for you, and then we'll we'll definitely tell everybody again about Landscape of the Body, mm -hmm. so everybody goes to see it. But I, and I ask this of everyone I talk to, the funniest or the strangest or worst experience you've ever had directing or, or just being involved in a theatrical production? Oh, when we had the little carriage house on East 84th Street, you had to come through a tunnel. We were doing The Time of Your Life by uh, William uh, Soroyan, and my designer had designed a San Francisco honky-tonk that you walked right into and across through the sawdust to the seats. And one, one Saturday matinee, because it was a little space backstage and we had about 30 actors in it, John Bishop directed it, I produced it, uh, I gave people permission to come late if they weren't on in the first act. So at intermission time, my society lady came through the tunnel with a guy. And, you know, it was, came time for the second act, and everybody went in, and the guy was still standing outside. And I said to him, would you like to go in and be my guest? And he said, yes. And he goes in and blackout. And the lights come up, and he's sitting at the table with Marielle, <laughs> with that famous Marielle Josie, Mrs. Matchley, which is, you know, they're guessing. And the girl playing Mal, uh, Marielle looked at him and said, excuse me, sir, I'd like to be left alone. <laughs> and he goes up to the bar. Well, it's 1937, so there was a sign, you know, a shot, 25 cents, a beer, a nickel. And John had rocked a lot of traffic coming in and out, sailors, prostitutes, and so forth. And this guy standing at the bar, uh, there was no place for me inside, so I was watching it through a window, and I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> my God. And he ordered a beer. 
So Fred, <laughs> playing the bartender, gave him a beer, and he was watching this scene going on. I thought, if he opens his mouth, I, I've got to go in there and get him out of here. And the, uh, two of the hookers came in, and he was standing where they were supposed to be, so they each got on each side of him, and each girl had about 40 miles of cleavage that he was looking <laughs> down. So he's standing yeah, he was there a happy his, guy, yeah. his beer, and then he turns around and orders another beer. The actors backstage thought, I sent a, some guy in just to keep them on their toes. And they were cracking up backstage. And Fred finally leaned down to him and said, you're in a play. You know, and then the guy finished that beer and he walks out, right? And he comes up to me and he said, are you the owner here? And I said, yes. And he said, I really like this place, but I got to let you know you really watered down your drink. (laughs) (laughs) And after the show, Fred came up to me. He said he gave me $10 and told me to keep the change. He said he took out a wad of bills that would have choked a horse. Whoa. And and I said to the actress uh, afterwards, I said, I thought that was your boyfriend. And she said, did you look at him? He didn't have any teeth. He followed me from the White Tower two blocks away. What do you think I go out with? You know? <laughs> well, he had a roll of bills. You don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he was some sailor on leave. I don't know who he was, but uh, that's my favorite. Well, thanks. That's, that's about as good as it gets. Oh, God, it was funny. Anyway, Terry, I've, I've got to wrap this up, but I want to remind everybody, uh, please, to go see Landscape of the Body. It's, it opens on January 29th, and it runs through February 22nd at your place, T. Schreiber Studio, on 151 West 26th Street. And I think tickets are cheap at like $15, so there's that's really right. no excuse not to see it. Um, tickets are also available at 212-352-31. Zero one three five two three one zero one for landscape of the body. Terry Schreiber, I've got to have you back on because this was just not enough time. Thank you, Dave. But uh, thank you so much for calling in, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Good. I really appreciate it, and I hope you will enjoy the play. Thanks, man. Okay. Thank you, Dave. Bye. 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 Did you know Dave Lefkowitz of Dave's Gone By is not just a radio personality; he's also a playwright, and his book *Marriage Babies and the End of the World* is filled with the same humor he brings to his show every week. Funny, sad, and true. At only $20 hardcover, $12 trade paperback, Marriage Babies and the End of the World makes a great gift. So get your copy today. Call 516-295-1511. That's 516-295-1511. Or email davesgoneby at aol.com. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WGBB Freeport and AM 1240 WGBB.com on this Monday, January 26th. Time for the News Gone By, a look at world and local events of the past week from a 40-plus perspective. In political news... Talk show hosts and pundits and columnists all got their jollies last week, making fun of presidential candidate Howard Dean. Dean, of course, once the frontrunner, suddenly found himself jockeying to stay in the top three, and he gave a speech after the Iowa caucus to rally the troops. Instead, he ended up scaring the children with his gravelly voice and war whoop. Now, this only fed into the perception of him as a man who can't rein in his emotions and might come off as a little too immoderate to be a national leader. I don't know. Everybody's pouncing on this guy for a silly little shriek, as if that had any bearing on anything relevant to anything. But I think once the chuckles die, Dean might actually gain from his goof. He was always about being different, being more human and spontaneous from other candidates who all blended into each other, and since this is a television campaign, 
as all campaigns are now, look at some of the most popular people on TV. Homer Simpson, Richard Simmons, Spongebob. All of them are most beloved for being unpredictable, over-the-top, but true to themselves. In fact, I'll betcha Howard's little semi-spontaneous yelp is going to catch on, and then all the other candidates are going to try to imitate it, morph it into their own versions. I mean, we all know Dean's holler now. Yeah! Carrie will start going, <clears throat> and Joe Lieberman will be like, oy, 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 oy. and John Edwards is young. He could... He could get into it, like, yeah! And Al Sharpton will probably co-opt something from his mentor, James Brown, like, uh, heh, hot pants! And, um, who else? Dennis Kucinich will, will try to scream, but after eating a veggie burger, he just squeaks a little and lets out a fart. And Wesley Clark will wait for George Bush to scream, and then point out all the reasons he did it completely wrong. No, but seriously, I think it's fine for a candidate to show a little untempered enthusiasm, especially since the process has become so airbrushed and endlessly scrutinized, and considering the results of the 2000 election, <laughs> possibly futile. It should be noted that at the end of his State of the Union address, in which he detailed how the country has changed over the last three years, President George Bush did not let out a scream, I guess he knew millions of women, gays, minorities, and middle-class families would beat him to it. In world news, well, they couldn't pry a bunch of sailors out of the Kursk submarine, but Russian seamen are fighting valiantly to rescue ten tons of beer, speaking of beer before, trapped under the Irtish River in Siberia. A lorry carrying the brewskis sank, so six divers, ten workers, and a modified T-72 tank were sent in, and braving minus 17-degree weather to retrieve the cargo. Now, after a week of that not working, the army was called in to help as well. Now, the hardest part, they say, is not the elements or the size of the beer shipment, but peeling four million sea slugs off the sides of the barrels. In food news, come back to the Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Sounds strange, but country singer Jimmy Dean has been dumped as the spokesman for his own company. Sara Lee Corporation, which owns the D Jimmy Dean brand of pork and meat products, said it was time to move in, quote, a new direction that focuses more on the product than the person. In a recent interview, Dean told the press, quote, I think it's the dumbest thing. The company told me they were trying to attract the younger housewife, and they didn't think I was one to do that, unquote. Well, asked about the decision, a Sara Lee spokesperson said she realized Jimmy has a nostalgic charm, but she also said, think about it. If women, if women want to see an old man cackling and waving sausage around, they'll visit Grandpa in a nursing home. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, also in food news, the SARS virus has caused many serious problems in China, affecting everything from public health to tourism, but it hasn't dampened connoisseurs' enthusiasm for cat poop coffee. All right, let me back up. It's not actually cats. I know the whole joke about Chinese restaurants and cat population, and it's racist and terrible, and I'm proud to make that joke whenever I can, but no, these are civet cats, C-I-V-E-T, which aren't really cats. They're in the viverid family, which puts them closer to mongoose, they look kind of like a cross between raccoons and anteaters, with the added attraction of being delicious, according to those in the know. They give off a kind of fruity aroma when they're roasted. A little gamey, but you can mask that with vinegar and garlic. Anyway, 
civet cats eat coffee berries. They pick the best and ripest berries, digest them, and then poop out the bean. Workmen then collect the beans, wash off the dung, and pop them in the roaster. You know, just an aside here. George Bush changed our immigration laws because he says there are jobs in this country that we need to import foreigners to do because Americans just won't touch them. I'm not sure if that is true or not, but if you think we have lousy jobs, what do, you, what do they do in China? You think they bring in workers from Taiwan and tell them, have you ever wanted to work with animals and really make a difference? Join Team Civet in Beijing. After just a few seconds of training, you could be sifting mongoose turds for delicious coffee beans. Don't think of it as an entry-level position, so much as an exit-level position. And every week, you get to take home a free pound of coffee. Well, pre-sifted, but still. Okay, but seriously, drinkers of this caca coffee are worried because civet cats are being targeted by the Chinese government for possibly carrying SARS. Thousands of the animals are being exterminated, which could send the price of the coffee soaring or make it unobtainable. On the plus side, in case that happens, scientists have already developed an alternate way to make coffee from the explosive diarrhea of howler monkeys. They call it Starbucks. Speaking of animals, well, Lassie is dead, Roy Rogers' trigger is stuffed and mounted, Keiko the whale who played Free Welly, well, he's Frisky's buffet now, but one legendary creature is still very much alive, Charlie, Winston Churchill's foul-mouthed 104-year-old parrot. Parrots generally don't live much longer than 40 or 50 years in captivity, but they can reach up to 110 years. Now, Charlie was famous way back in World War II for squawking obscenities about Hitler. These days, according to Reuters, Charlie doesn't talk that much anymore, but his caretaker says he still gets excited about music and dances to it. On his 104th birthday, Charlie was asked if he wanted a cracker. The parrot replied, No, but give me some Viagra, two canaries, and a birdbath filled with jello, and then get the freak out of my way! I lived in a home. I traveled in trailers when I used to roam. But now in these places you won't have me yet. Cause I'm happy I live in a split level head. I do what I want to, no worries, no care. If anyone bugs me, I climb little stairs. Way up to a level where astronauts stretch. Cause I'm happy I live in a split level head. If you're tiny, nothing, I couldn't care less. I don't run for buses and trains are a mess. There's no one to care for, I don't make a bed. Cause I'm happy I live in a split level head. I like how I'm living, I'm nobody's slave. My head's above water, so don't make a wave. There's no door to lock and no dog to be fed. Cause I'm happy I live in a split level head. So why should I move when the neighborhood's right? No taxes Speaking of split-level heads, in medical news, a team of international doctors will visit the Dominican Republic next month. They're flying in to operate on Rebecca Martinez, a baby girl born with an extra head attached to the top of her skull. 
The girl is basically healthy, believe it or not, but doctors say her brain can't develop properly unless the undeveloped growth is removed. The surgeons are volunteering their services to the Martinez family, and Rebecca's parents say they're very grateful for that and for the outpouring of support from all over the world. They did get offended, though, at the Dominican Baseball League when they overheard several ball players mention how much they hated double-headers. Yes! Yes! Yes, it's the comedy bell. The bell that singles signals the day's gone by. Bad pun of the week. Every week we make a play on words so foul, so off-base, that you can't help but balk as your heart comes to a short stop. Yes, we take you out to the bell game with the Dave's Gone By Bad Pun of the Week. So get your batter up, because here's the pitch. Dave's Gone By is the place to advertise your product, event, or service, because people are listening all over Long Island, all over the Tri-State area, all over the Quindecca State area, any place that gets live streaming audio on the Internet. Those listeners tune in every week, every Monday, 6.30 to 8 p.m. to hear what I have to say. And if part of what I have to, have to say includes your company or your business, well, they'll hear that too. Now, I can't guarantee that people who hear about your store, your product, or your personal service on my show, I can't guarantee they're going to go out and buy it. But you know what? If they don't hear about it on my show, I can absolutely guarantee that they won't buy it. How could they? They don't know who you are, what you do, how well you do what you do. That is my job. I am the audio bridge between you and the people who pay you money for stuff. Or, traversing the other direction, I'm the bridge between listeners who need or want something and showing them how to go and get it. And you can cross that bridge because we've come to it. And because advertising on Dave's Gone By is easy, cost-effective, and just plain effective. You can take out a 30- or 60-second ad. You can sponsor a segment like The News Gone By or Dave's Got Guests. You can sponsor the whole show, beginning to end, at prices that'll make you think, why did I throw all that money away on print ads? Why did I think coupons were the only solution? Why did I assume I couldn't afford to advertise? Why is my left testicle so much larger than my right? Oh, sorry, that's from my list of things to ask my doctor. But seriously, folks, the economy is picking up. Spring is just a couple of weeks away. It's time to attract the customers and the kind of customers with intelligence, discretionary income, and a desire to support local businesses just like yours. So put your message on my medium and advertise on Dave's Gone By. Call 516-295-1511 for all the details. 516-295-1511. Or email davesgoneby at aol.com. Don't forget, we can include your link or banner ad on our website, and we can mention you in our weekly emails to loyal listeners. It's shameless hucksterism all the way. But I feel hucksterism should be shameless, or else, you know, why bother? So fill me with your monetary shame and advertise on Dave's Gone By, 516-295-1511, or davesgoneby at aol.com. This time next week, you could be listening to your very own ad or hear me promoting your product or, lest we forget, be proudly sponsoring the Dave's Gone By Bad Pun of the Week. Don't be good. Be ponderful. In movie news on the News Gone By, move over, Pauline Kale. Roll along, Roger Ebert. Pope John Paul II has taken up film reviewing. Or so the rumor had it, when word came from the Vatican that His Holiness 
was at a screening of the Mel Gibson movie The Passion of the Christ. Reportedly, the Pope approved of the film, saying, quote, It is as it was. A controversial statement, since Jewish groups have taken the film to task for being anti-Semitic in its ugly depiction of ancient Hebrews. Well, now the Pope's secretary says that although the Pope did see The Passion of the Christ, he absolutely did not make any comment on it one way or another, unless you count soiling his diaper and drooling. No, but since the Pope had nothing to say about Mel Gibson's movie, that has to be taken as tacit approval, since he's had no trouble over the years voicing objections to things he finds objectionable. Also, the Pope has seen and weighed in on other movies, including Bad Santa, which he found amusing and true to life, Cheaper by the Dozen, which he called light, frothy fun, and House of Sand and Fog, which he enjoyed but said was too serious and gave him the giggles. The Pope did add that, quote, If more women looked like Jennifer Connelly, I would have rethought that whole chastity thing years ago. In music news... Art Garfunkel was stopped for speeding in upstate New York when the state trooper gave a whiff and discovered he was carrying a small amount of marijuana in his jacket. Now don't get excited. The famous singing sidekick isn't in a whole hell of a lot of trouble. In fact, it's a minor violation, just a $100 fine, and Garfunkel doesn't even have to appear in court. He can mail it in. Garfunkel couldn't be reached for comment, but he was overheard to say, Phew, good thing they caught me on the way to Tommy Chong's house. Now, with all this talk about birthdays and feeling old, here's something that should make all of us feel a little long in the tooth. Johnny Rotten, a.k.a. John Lydon, a.k.a. lead singer of the Sex Pistols, no, he hasn't died, he hasn't been in a horrible Osborne-like accident, no, it's much worse. He's going to be one of the cast members next season on the British version of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. British journalists are frothing at the mouth over the news, one writer for The Scotsman saying, quote, If it has come to this for the Prince of Punk, then mediocrity does get us all in the end. And I agree, except the Sex Pistols were always a gimmick. Yes, they played it to the hilt, but it was always a contrivance, a marketing idea by promoter Malcolm McLaren, one that just happened to push all the right buttons and scare the hell out of British society anyway. So let's face it, any member of a band that titled its movie The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, has carte blanche to do the hippest thing in the world or the lamest thing in the world. In some ways, they're not that far apart. And look at it this way. At least Johnny Rotten isn't showing up on the British Home Shopping Network hawking designer safety pins and jars of perfumed spit. He's saving that for next year. And that's the news gone by for January 26, 2004. Please send your comments, opinions, and rock and roll swindles to Dave's Gone By, P.O. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. Dave's Gone By, Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. And here's a special offer. If you send me a card or letter by mail this week, send it tomorrow or early Wednesday, I'll probably get it before Saturday. Huh? How's that for incentive? So write to me and to the show. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you don't think. Or just scream, Hee-yah! Which you can also do by email. Dave's gone by at AOL.com. Dave's gone by, no apostrophe, at AOL.com. Send me letters. Send me gifts. But please, no old parrots. Especially if they're tired and shagged out after a prolonged squawk. Back after this. Hi folks, Dave Lefkowitz here from Dave's Gone By, and I want to tell you about a product, event, or service. 
I'm going to talk about it for half a minute or a minute. I'm going to make it really interesting, and all my listeners are going to go, hey, maybe I'll try this product, event, or service. It's called advertising or sponsorship, and it's easy, cost-effective, and just plain effective. To get your person, place, or thing, well, not thing, promoted on Dave's Gone By and reach listeners all over Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island, and the Tri-State area, just give us a call at 516-295-1511 or email us at davesgoneby at aol.com. Check our website, hometown.aol.com forward slash davesgoneby and see sponsorship opportunities, ad rates, and more. Again, the number, 516-295-1511. Insert your product, event, or service here. Lucinda Williams, one of the premier country and folk songwriters going. I'm not big on country music, but she really goes from country to folk to country rock in a very pure way that is uniquely her own. She's not Nashville. God knows she's not Branson. Although by now, a lot of the established Opry-type stars are covering her songs. Well, Lucinda Williams was born on this date, January 26th, 1953. So happy 51st birthday to her. She was born in Lake Charles, Louisiana, the daughter of poet Miller Williams, who is apparently quite well-known in those circles. He was also a good friend of Tom T. Hall. Anyway, Lucinda picked up her first guitar when she was 12, and a couple of years later was making the folk circuit. For a while, she was part of the Houston scene that included Nancy Griffith and Towns Van Zandt. Then she moved over to Mississippi, where she cut a couple of really old-school folk blues albums. She kicked around a few more years until releasing the well-received Lucinda Williams album on the Rough Trade label. Well, that put her on the verge of a major record deal with RCA that collapsed, leaving her without a new album for another five years. Typical record business madness. But when she did put out that album, Sweet Old World, everybody pretty much knew it was an instant classic, and that got her a major label deal for her next album, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, which gave Lucinda her second Grammy and national prominence and the song we heard to open the segment, Drunken Angel. She's released two more good albums since then and is now one of the most critically acclaimed singer-songwriters of our time. I still think the Sweet Old World album is the pinnacle of her career, just a collection of amazing and catchy and lyrical and touching songs, quite a few of them about untimely death, actually. People thought the songs were about a close relative, but in fact, they were about a family friend. Anyway, for newcomers to Williams, the title track is as good a place to start as any. In an interview with VH1, Steve Earle ranked Sweet Old World alongside Hank Williams' I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry and Bruce Springsteen's Used Cars as among the saddest songs ever written. I wouldn't go that far, but if you hear it in the right mood and in the right context, it's up there. I also want to send condolences out to uh, my next-door neighbors, Jeff and his wife Shirley. Jeff lost his dad last week, so my sympathies, of course. Here's to happier and better days ahead. Well, I am just about birthdayed out, but I want to thank everyone, as I did last week, for making my own birthday party so much fun. I hope you enjoyed the clips I played earlier in the program. Special thanks to Scott Rogolitz, Jay Auerfeld, my mom and dad, my aunts and uncles, and, of course my beloved wife, Joyce, who had this closing birthday message for me. This is David's wife, Joyce. Um, I'd like to read a song from Mr. Rogers, uh, someone David's very familiar with. It's called It's You I Like, and this is for David. 
Honey, it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you. Not your toys are just beside you. But it's you I like. Every part of you. Your skin, your eyes, your feelings. Whether old or new. I hope that you'll remember when you're feeling blue. That it's you I like. It's you yourself. It's you. It's you I like. Am I a lucky guy or what? And I'm especially lucky to have you as listeners to this program every week. Lucky to have engineer Joe Salzone listen to Joe's many different programs on WGBB, Your World, Sunday nights at 6. He's also on Sunday nights and Monday nights at 11, so stay tuned for that. He's got the TV show, Long Island Cable, Channel 20, Sunday afternoons at 1. Uh, they've repeated the same show twice uh, for two weeks, and I've been on them, so I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Are you going to do that again next week, Joe? He's shrugging. Could be. Could be. So tune in next Sunday afternoon at 1, Long Island Cable, Channel 20. And you can also hear Joe Monday nights, 6 o'clock, just before Dave's Gone By starts at 6.30. Oh, listen also to Bonnie D. Graham and Long Island's Dating, Friday nights at 6. And don't forget Mark Torres and the gang at Comic Book Novice, Thursday nights at 9.00. And have your taste buds listen to the taste uh, bleh, to the Tondor Grill, 222 Sunrise Highway in Rockville Center. You'll call it the Taste Bud Grill when you eat there. See their menu at tondorgrill.com. Not tandoori. Tondor, leave off the last eye for Indianicious. Also, a couple of special thank yous this week. Thank you to Scotty Rhodes and Kerry Smith for all your help. I want to remind folks that a tribute to Tap Legends happens Friday night, February 6th at Town Hall on West 43rd Street. For tickets, call 212-840-2824. Congrats to the people who won tickets tonight. I'm hoping to rustle up another pair to give away next week, so do tune in. Many thanks also, of course, to Terry Schreiber. Great talking to him, and uh, hope to have him on again soon. He's, He's just really fun and interesting And go see Landscape of the Body. It's the John Guare play, and it starts this Thursday. runs through February 22nd at T. Schreiber Studios. That's T, period. Oh, I didn't get to ask him uh, why he initials his his first name like that. Anyway, 151 West 26th Street. For tickets to that, call 212-352-3101. I'll read that again, 212-352-3101. What a full show tonight. I feel like I've been through a marathon. But we'll do it all again next week, February 2nd, 6.30 p.m. I don't even know what we're going to do next week. That's, that's one of the beauties of this show. We just try and do some little different things so that if you tune in and you don't like what you're hearing, you tune in 20 minutes later and I'm doing something completely different. And whoa! Like, I'll, I'll skip a CD occasionally, just like that. There we go. Uh... <laughs> Gosh, I guess the water boy spilled water on the seat. That was a terrible joke. I'm just vamping here. I've got like an extra minute or two. Um, we'll listen a little bit. This is, of course, the water boys doing Van Morrison's sweet thing. I'm still here. Against the blue ocean, against the morrow sky. 
I just got the signal from Joe that I've got two minutes left, so I'm really going to bam. Not, not for all the two, two minutes, maybe like a minute and a half. How did I run so early on this? Because it, it was neck and neck there, and then when Terry and I were talking, <laughs> now Joe was signaling me a wrap up. <laughs> let's see, let's see what else can I tell you, folks. Tune in next week, 6.30 p.m. Make sure you're getting this show both on your regular AM 1240 WGBB radio and live streaming on AM 1240 WGBB.com. So if you're not on Long Island or goes out of your area or the signal's not good, you can listen on the Internet. Well, again... Do tune in next week, 6.30 p.m., February 2nd, Monday night. Until then, <laughs> I'm going to stretch this to the last second, dude. I rarely get to do this. He's going to stop. He's going to stop. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz. A sweet thing. Good night, you sweet old world. And gone by.